Welcome to the Pastor's Study. I'm Pastor Rocky Fritz coming to you from the First Baptist Church in Amboy, Illinois. I encourage you to follow along in your Bible with pen and notebook in hand as we study the scripture verse by verse and word by word. We are currently traveling the Romans road. Gather your things together and turn in your New Testament to Paul's epistle to the Romans. As we enter today into Romans chapter number 10, I remind you that these three chapters, 9, 10, and 11, are focusing on the election and the foreknowledge of God. In chapters 9, we looked at the sons of Isaac, Jacob, and Esau. And then in chapter 10, we're going to see two nations, the Jew and the Gentile or the Greek. And then in chapter number 11, we will look at two people, the elect and the rejected, or the saved and the lost. Now you'll notice chapter 9 and chapter number 10 start out very similarly with a great evangelistic prayer burden that the Apostle Paul carried. We would do good to focus our prayer life as Paul and also as Christ did in winning the lost around us. Verse number 1 says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Notice he's addressing his brethren. Uh, These are fellow Christians, but more than that, his Jewish uh, believers, his uh, Jewish kinfolk. My greatest desire and my first prayer request, Paul says, for Israel is that they might be saved. That word saved is a word that I remember back when I first came to a Baptist church as a teenager and heard repeatedly that word saved. Now, growing up in church, I never remember hearing that word saved. Uh, And I thought that was a very unusual word. I got to despise that word until I realized in reading the Bible and studying the Bible that word is used quite often in the Bible. It speaks of being saved from the bondage of sin the condemnation of the law, saved from a life without a relationship with God, saved from from the eternal wrath of God, knowing Christ as our Savior. What a wonderful word that word saved is now that I do know Christ as my Savior. In verse number 2, Paul says, For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. I bear them record, Paul says, I understand their line of reasoning. I was once a leader among these people. And Paul certainly remembers the days when he had a zeal of God. Paul addressed the crowd in Jerusalem in Acts chapter number 22, just before he was arrested and eventually came to Rome as a prisoner. He said that I was zealous toward God as ye all are this day. And I persecuted this way unto death, binding and delivering unto prison both men and women. Spoke of the day when he as a devout Jew persecuted and even had Christians put to death. Uh, Sincerity and religious zeal can get no one to heaven. In fact, sincerity and religious zeal most often keeps people out of heaven. And notice he says that they have a zeal like I once had a zeal, but not according to knowledge. I was once there. 
In 1 Timothy 1, Paul says, I was once before a blasphemer, a persecutor, an injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. I just didn't know any better. In verse number 3, he says, For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. The word here speaks of a willful ignorance. They refused and rejected what was plainly put within their reach and in their sight. The righteousness of God. The word righteousness again means God's plan or scheme of justification or redemption. God's way of bringing us to a relationship with Him. God's righteousness, of course, is salvation by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They've rejected God's righteousness and have chosen their own righteousness, their own way of salvation through the works of the law. And doing so, they have not submitted or agreed to God. The word confess will be used in verse number 9 and 10 of this chapter. It means to agree with God, to accept His plan of righteousness. In verse number 4, what a great truth this is. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Christ is the end of the law, the completion or the fulfillment of the law, the fulfillment of the law for righteousness to everyone, anyone who enters God's plan of redemption and justification is plugged in to Jesus Christ. The end of those that believeth, they that believe, that put their faith in Christ himself and accept God's plan of righteousness as Abraham did. Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now in verse number five, we read, for Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law that the man which doeth these things shall live thereby. Moses revealed God's plan of righteousness through the law. The law that condemns all men as sinners. That same law points us to Christ who will die for our sin and unite us back to God. And of course, Moses was looking forward to Christ. That law condemns me as a sinner, but the law that was given to Moses also is a prophetic law. It has a prophetic purpose in pointing us to the one who will die for our sins. That's what all the sacrifices and all the ceremonies were about in the Old Testament. The man that doeth these things, it says in verse number 5, shall find the righteousness of God, or accepts or yields to the righteousness of God. And notice he says in verse 5, shall live by them. We will find life through faith in Christ. The new life we find in Christ our Redeemer, our Messiah. Now verse number 6 and 7 says, 
For, but the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. Say not in thine heart, Who shall ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above? Or who shall descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up again from the dead? Now this is a quotation from Deuteronomy chapter number 30, which we won't take time for our purposes to go back there. But it speaks in verse 6 of the righteousness which is of faith, speaketh on this wise. Or under, in other words, we would say, this is how it works. This is how we find God's righteousness. And notice he says in verse 6, Say not in thine heart. Now that statement's not something that we immediately understand today, but it was a common expression in Paul's day. It would be similar to us saying today, don't think or suppose this is too difficult to understand, or don't make this so complicated. He said in verse number 6, who shall ascend into heaven? Again, this is a common expression. We might uh, explain it this way in our world. We don't have to go to heaven to understand this doctrine. It's not that difficult. Uh, and he says, that is to bring Christ down from above. He already came once. Uh, we don't have to bring someone down again. He came once into this world. We speak of the incarnation when God became man to reveal himself to man one time in the person of Jesus Christ. In verse number 7, he asks uh, another question. Who shall descend to the deep? Another common statement we would say today is we don't have to travel across the ocean. We don't have to sail the ocean to find this truth. We don't have to go down to the grave. We don't have to wait till we die or wait for somebody to come back from the dead. Jesus already did that. Uh, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. Christ went to the grave and rose again. Christ died and rose one time to save whosoever shall call upon him. The emphasis in verse number 6 and 7 is the same emphasis that Jesus made when he spoke to uh, those that would hear him preach when he said, Whosoever shall receive the kingdom of heaven as a little child. Salvation's not as complicated as religion has made it. Uh, putting our faith in Christ is something even a little child can do. We need to have that childlike faith to know Christ as our Savior. Salvation comes through simple faith in God's righteousness, God's plan of redemption, not by our works, not by our plan, but simply receiving the finished work of Christ, that he came into this world to save us as sinners. He died and rose from the dead to show that he has victory and can offer eternal life to whosoever shall call upon him. I close today by asking you life's most important question. Have you personally received the gospel, the good news as presented to us in the book of Romans? This book describes in detail God's one and only way of salvation and sanctification. When God works in our lives, he begins a work of transformation 
This transformation begins at the moment of salvation and will not be complete until we are living forever in His presence. There's no hope of eternal life in heaven without knowing Jesus Christ. So likewise, there's no life that compares to living daily in the presence of Jesus today. If you have any questions, concerns, or needs, please contact us at fbcamboy.org. I look forward to the next leg of our journey as we travel the Romans Road.